0: Um, this is Ross Lockwood, in case you're wondering. He is serving with RUF at Western Kentucky um, University with the Reform, as I said, Reform University Fellowship. Ross was born and raised in Memphis, down in West Tennessee. He Att- attended Mississippi State University, where he received a degree in communication, and more importantly, met his beautiful wife, Ann Todd. She's not with us today, but uh, they also have Ross and Ann Todd. Uh, Ross and Anton were married in December of 2010 and have two two sons, Bo and Ira. Ross graduated from Covenant Theological Seminary with a Master's of Divinity degree in May of 2015. Both Ross and Ann were involved with RUF at Mississippi State and are very excited that God has called them to Western Kentucky University where they can share the good news of King Jesus and proclaim his great love to the students there. Brother Ross... Take it away. Thank you so much, brother. Thank you. Good morning. It is, um, man, it is, to be honest, quite an emotional day for me. This is actually the first time in three months that I have stepped foot in a church building. And uh, it is just an honor and a privilege to be with you this morning. And um, it's just very, very good to see the faces of the church um, for me this morning. Thank you for letting me be here. Uh, And also, Happy Father's Day. Um, I know that for many of you, this is a a day full of celebration and joy for you. Uh, And also, for some of you, I recognize that today is actually a day that uh, has a mixture of feelings. It could bring about pain or sorrow, Um, because as some of us have had complicated relationships with our fathers or or grieving the loss of our fathers, or perhaps even grieving uh, the loss of longing to be a father. But the Lord has not given that to us. And so I know that many of us are coming into this morning... Uh, All over the place with different um, feelings and thoughts. Um, But I hope that this morning that we can all fix our eyes on our Heavenly Father, um, who has loved us perfectly and protects us and has kept us and nourishes us and will deliver us uh, because of what He has done for us in Christ Jesus. And He is a good Father to be celebrated this morning indeed. Well, I want to make a slight, uh, not correction, but addition to uh, my introduction. We do have two children, and we are actually expecting our third, August 5th. And so we have three children. Uh, one is on the way, and we don't have a name yet, and so I'm taking applications. Uh, if you have a good name suggestion for me, please uh, let me know immediately after this as we are running out of time to come up with one. Uh, this, this summer um, in RUF, uh, which again is Reform University Fellowship, um, there are a number of RUF uh, locations in the Nashville area. As some of you know, Austin P. University has a campus minister, although they're in a transition. Austin Royal, some of you knew, has moved to Fayetteville. And now we're going to be welcoming Will Cody and his family. As the next campus minister at Austin P, is he here today? I don't, I don't see him. I don't think he's here, but he will be soon. And I know that you all share my excitement to meet him. But uh, RUF this summer, uh, we're actually having virtual RUF Nashville, and in RUF we're going through the Book of James. And everyone nominated me to preach on this passage that we're going to look at today, which is the hardest chapter in the Bible. I am convinced it is the most challenging, most difficult text. And so I thought, hey, why not share it with my friends in Clarksville as well as share it with my students? Um, This is indeed a very familiar passage to many of you, um, but it is a very challenging passage. Uh, As we'll see, it contains language in it that seems completely contradictory to what we hold in our own denomination and in our Reformed faith, as those of us who hold the teaching of sola fide, by faith alone. Um, This passage seems to speak almost directly against that. So it's challenging, but also I, th- I believe this morning uh, this passage will be very encouraging to us um, as God uses it to not just maybe convict us, but also to comfort us um, and in our faith. And I hope that He will do that this morning, and I have no doubt that He will by His Spirit. Let me read our passage this morning. It's James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. And then after I read it, I will pray, and then we will look at it together. James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. This is God's word. It is absolutely true. And he has given it to us in love this morning. We pray with me as we consider this passage together. Father, uh, good Father in heaven, we come before you this morning. Uh, Thankful to be here, thankful to, uh, to be gathered here together um, by your will, uh, to hear from you. Lord, we ask that you would indeed speak to us through this passage. God, would you uh, challenge us in the places where we need to be challenged? Would you convict us in the places where we need to be convicted? But would you also comfort us and encourage us? And for those of us who need to be comforted and encouraged, God, I pray that you would speak through us and that by your Holy Spirit, you would indeed show us Jesus And show us the great faith that you have called us into. And would you help us to live not only in word, but in deed? We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this might be a surprise to some of you, but I am actually going into my sixth year as the campus minister. Western Kentucky University. I know I look like I just came out of Covenant Seminary, but I am actually going into my sixth year. I'm now considered a veteran, actually, by many people in RUF, which is strange. Uh, And, you know, the interesting thing is people often ask me, why did you pick Western Kentucky University? I didn't. I didn't pick Western Kentucky. I grew up in Memphis, as was said, and I went to Mississippi State University. I'm a bulldog through and through, which is why I have a bulldog bulldog bow tie up here this morning. Um, And Uh, when RUF hired me, I didn't get to pick where I went. They said, hey, there's this campus in Bowling Green, Kentucky. You've never heard of it. You've never heard of Bowling Green or that university. We're going to send you there. And so I went, and we loved it, and it's actually grown on us a lot. Um, However, when I first moved to Bowling Green, I I didn't really care about Western Kentucky, to be honest. Um, I kind of had to pretend that I liked the town, that I liked the university. Uh, When football season came, I had to pretend that I was going to be a fan of Western Kentucky. And so I would put on the red shirts, you know, and I would go to the games with my students, and I would say all the right things, and I would cheer when Western scored a touchdown. All the meanwhile, I was like on my phone watching the Bulldogs lose to whoever they were losing to that weekend. (laughs) And, uh, you know, but I did all the right things, and I said all the right things, and I looked the right way because I needed to for my job. And I needed to gain the trust of my students. And to be honest with you, it was really pretty easy. (laughs) It was pretty easy to pretend that uh, I was a fan of Western Kentucky. And in this passage, similarly, James is going to say something pretty challenging to us, which is that it is pretty easy to pretend the Christian faith. It's actually pretty easy to do so. And that's a really hard thing to hear for us. Um, But I I think if we're honest, we know that this is true. It's pretty easy to look look the right way, to say the right things. But do we actually have genuine faith, faith that justifies? Again, I know this is hard to hear. Trust me, it's a harder thing to even say. But we know this is true. We know this is true biblically. Jesus says this over and over again in Matthew 7 and Matthew 25 where he says things like, many in that day will say, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons and do all these amazing things in your name? And he will say, depart from me, I never knew you, right? But we also know this experientially, where we, I guarantee you, there are people in this room, all of us in this room, I'm sure, know of those who would claim Christian faith. They would say, yes, I definitely am a Christian. I grew up that way, and I still am today. But if you were to ask them how, like, what that means to them, they would probably say, well, I'm a pretty good person i don 't really go and do a whole lot of bad things other people do I, you know I vote, I vote a certain way, and um, you know I grew up going to church when I was a little kid and I was baptized when I was little. but is there any evidence of genuine faith in their life today? There might not be, so we know this is true, and James is challenging us I believe in this passage he 's doing so very pastorally, even though it 's a sharp critique, but he 's concerned and he 's pastoring us to to help wake up those of us who might just be going through the motions, who uh, may have come to a place where we're just pretty apathetic about our faith, if we're honest. But he's also, he's not just critiquing those who are pretending, but he's, I think he's also wanting to comfort and encourage those of us who are struggling with our faith. And that might be a little harder to see, but I think we're going to get there. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to ask the question, how can we know, how can we know, If we possess a living, genuine, justifying faith, how can we know? That's probably one of the most important questions we can ask ourselves. And I actually have three points. I don't know if y'all put the points up on the screen. I'm glad y'all don't, because the points in the online bulletin are wrong. I've changed them. I have three points this morning of how we can know. First, a living faith is a beneficial faith. Living faith is beneficial. Secondly, living faith is visible. And then finally, living faith is spiritual. This is going to be how we know what real genuine faith looks like. First, living faith is beneficial. I'm looking at verses 14 and 6 through 16 when I say this. Paul, uh, James, excuse me, a, a couple of times asked the, the rhetorical question, what good is it if someone has faith apart from works? Now, in your Bibles, you might have a little footnote where it says another way of, un- of translating that phrase is what benefit is it? James is asking, what does it benefit someone if they have faith apart from works? And then he gives this hypothetical situation where someone in the church is in desperate need, a physical need of clothing or of food, and then someone just goes up to them and says, peace, be warmed and filled. May God bless you. Or in our current day, we would maybe say, I'll pray for you. (laughs) I'll pray for you. James is asking, what good is that? What benefit is that to that person who is suffering, who is in need? No, a living faith is beneficial because a living faith seeks to do good to those around us. And we know this is true. The Bible is full of this. This is why we read Micah 6, 8 earlier. You know what the Lord requires of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. True faith does things. It does beneficial things to those around us. Scott Sauls, a pastor in our own presbytery who lives in Nashville, and he has a book called Irresistible Faith, which I would highly encourage to you. And then he says this. He says, Demonstrating active concern for our neighbors, especially those who Jesus calls the least of these, is an inseparable aspect of a true Godward faith. Living faith does... Good deeds to those around us, especially to those who are in need. Which means living faith is more than just talk, it is more than just good theology, it's more than just great, accurate, reformed orthodoxy. James even goes on to prove this by saying, You believe that God is one. Which and and he would have he's writing to his Jewish listeners, which this would have been the great word, right? Uh, in, in Deuteronomy, uh, the Lord says, "The Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind." He's actually invoking language that they understand. So he's saying, "You say the Lord your God is one. Good, good for you. Congratulations, you're on the same level as a demon." Because just, because just because you know good theology and know the Bible doesn't mean that you actually have living, genuine faith. Again, this is a strong critique, right? I think this is especially a strong critique for some of us in, in, this, in our denomination personally, and especially as an RUF campus minister, because we really value good theology, don't we? We really value true doctrine, true teaching, uh, teaching the, the whole counsel of God and proclaiming the majesty of God's grace and His goodness accurately, it is important that we do so. However, I think it's a temptation for us to often reduce down the Christian faith to just mere intellect, or to just mere um, the ability to articulate the faith, or uh, even perhaps claiming to uh, believe and affirming um, right theology, You know, I do this every single time I step on campus. I I fight this temptation because I am an RUF campus minister, and so it's very easy for me to look down on the other campus ministries that are not Reformed, (laughs) right? And I can have this sense of pride because I think, well, I know Reformed theology. I can say the five points of Calvinism. I can articulate substitutionary atonement. Can you? And I can begin to feel arrogant, but what am I doing? I'm reducing the Christian faith simply to articulating sound doctrine, And living faith is more than that. And I would say some of us can look down on others, but yet some of us experience this on the flip side, right, where we actually, we can feel inferior to other Christians because we don't have a very complicated system of theology. It's easy to look around and say, I don't read the same books as this person, or I don't know my Bible as well as this other person. Am I even a Christian at all? We're doing that same thing. But here's what James is trying to push on us. He's trying to push on us. The reality that a mark of Christian faith is not just good doctrine. It's also doing good works. And we know this must be true, right? Because our faith is a faith in Christ Jesus who was constantly doing good works. You look at the, at the life of Jesus and he wasn't just proclaiming good news. He was living it out. He was demonstrating what the kingdom of God was like by healing the sick, by welcoming in the outcast, by embracing those who were rejected by society, by comforting those who were mourning and and who were weeping. Jesus' life was full of good work. (laughs) He was completely enraptured with the idea of loving those who were in need. And everywhere he went, he did it. And people believed in him, not just because of his words, but because of his actions. And so this is a call, and I think it's a challenge for all of us to take seriously, but it's a hard challenge because in our current day, in our world, we look around and we see so much need for good, don't we? You turn on the TV and you're just overwhelmed with how much brokenness and how much pain and sadness and injustice there is in our country. You, look at, you turn on your phone to your Facebook app or whatever app of choice that you have, and your social media is just flooded with just a need for the goodness of God to infiltrate in our culture and in our world. And it can be overwhelming because we don't even know where to start, right? There's just so much of a need. And I think we can ask ourselves, like, well, how do we, what does it look like for us to do good works? when there's just so much to be done. And I think it's important for us to remember that doing good doesn't— let me put it this way. A living faith is not necessarily beneficial to everyone, but a living faith is beneficial to someone, right? We don't have to put the whole world on our back. We can't do that. That's Christ's responsibility. He is in charge of bringing goodness and his kingdom to the world. But is there someone in your life that you can seek to do good for? I can tell you clearly that the Bible is very upfront that it must begin with your family. There's passages in Scripture, in uh, Titus, I believe, where Titus, or maybe it's in Paul and Timothy, um, but where Paul says, in either one of those, he says, He who does not care for his own family is worse than an unbeliever. It's actually worse than unbelief to not care for your family if they are in need. Is there someone in your family that you can care for? Is there someone in this church who needs help, who's maybe sick, who can you need to visit? A phone call, a meal. Is there a coworker, or perhaps uh, an employee that is in your is in your uh, is in your job or who needs help? A friendly face, <laughs> a phone call. What would it look like? Living faith is beneficial. Secondly, living faith is also visible. This passage can be really confusing. I'm not going to lie; <laughs> uh, it can be really fu- confusing because three times James says the phrase, justified by works, which, for those of us who hold to Reformed teaching, we would say, but what about justification by grace through faith alone, and Christ alone? Right? I mean, it seems like he is actually contradicting not just the Reformed teaching, but also Scripture itself, because we come up against passages like Galatians 2, where Paul says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. (laughs) How much clearer can he be? Right? He says three times in that one verse that we're justified by faith, whereas James here says three times we're justified by works. What on earth is going on? Well, I don't have a ton of time to, to sort of extrapolate all of this, but I think it might be helpful if you can keep in mind that when James talks about justification, he's approaching it from a different angle than how Paul is talking about it. They both agree, but they're looking at justification at two sides of the same coin. When when Paul talks about justification in the New Testament, he usually means For someone to be justified means they are declared righteous by God. They are declared as righteous before God. Not okay, but righteous. They have the righteousness of Christ declared and given to them by faith. That is what Paul means by justification. Here, in this passage, James agrees, but he he nuances what he's saying a little bit differently. Because for James, justification means vindication, or that means that um, we are justified by faith, and that faith is vindicated or proven by works. Proven by works, and, and let me show you what, how I know this. Because it's because in this passage he says, "Do you want me to show you that someone is justified by works, or proven their faith is proven by works?" And then he gives the example of Abraham, and most of us are familiar with the, with Abraham, right? God gave Abraham this great promise that through him he would bless the whole world and that he would have as many children as there are stars in the sky, right? It's an incredible promise. And it's not until many years later that God fulfills that promise, of which Abraham believed, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And so Abraham believed the promise. God finally gives him a child when he's 100 years old, right? And gives him the child. But then he asks Abraham to sacrifice that child on the altar, So Abraham obeys God. He goes up on the mountain. You know the story. He goes up there. He takes out the knife. Isaac, his son, says, We have everything we need except a sacrifice, Dad. Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says, God will provide the sacrifice, my son. Right? He puts Isaac on the son, takes out the knife, holds it up. And then before he can throw down the knife onto his son to kill him, God says, Stop. Abraham, don't kill him. Because now I know that you believe. Now, wait a second. Did, did God like not know beforehand that Abraham had faith? And now all of a sudden, that because Abraham did this thing, now God is like, oh, my God, I was uncertain there for a minute. No, God knew Abraham had faith, which is why he counted it to him as righteousness. But what God is saying is, now I have seen your faith. You have proven your faith to me. And James is picking up on this, which is why he says in verse 23... Scripture was fulfilled that Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. And so you see, talking about Abraham, you see with your eyes that a person is justified by works and not by faith. You see, it is proven to you. It is vindicated that they believe what they say they believe by their works. Are you tracking with me? He is saying someone's faith is justified. Someone's faith is proven to be true through the way they live it out in obedience to God. So, Abraham's faith was proven vindicated to God, and it is through his obedience, and so the scripture was fulfilled in that way, and that he believed God, and that it was counted to him as righteousness. Let me try to explain it this way, because I know it's a confusing point. When I was was younger, uh, there were commercials. We don't even have commercials anymore. But I remember the commercial of Cinnamon Toast Crunch, uh, very clearly, because I remember there was this, some, someone's grandmother or whatever was looking through the windows in her binoculars, and she was looking at these children, and they're all eating Cinnamon Toast Crunch, and she has this, like, scowl on her face for whatever reason, and she's saying, why do kids love Cinnamon Toast Crunch so much? But then as she looks at her binoculars, she can see on the Cinnamon Toast Crunch those golden swirls of cinnamony goodness, right, on these flakes, and the kids are just devouring it, and they love it. And she says, oh, it must be because of the cinnamon swirls that kids love cinnamon toast crunch so much, of which then the advertisement says, cinnamon toast crunch, a taste you can see right It was proven to be delicious because she because of what she saw. Christianity is a faith you can see it is a faith you can see, and it is proven that we believe what we believe through the way that we live it in other in the, Community and with one another. Jesus says this very clearly in Matthew five verse sixteen, where He says, "Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father as in, in heaven." You see, our faith is not just good for. <laughs> our faith is not just the way we rest and receive God's promises and are declared righteous. Our faith is also the way in which we demonstrate to the world what God is like. Our faith has a missional quality to it. Your life, the way you live out to your family, the way you live out and do good works to your neighbors, to your co-workers, to those around you, your life is your strongest apologetic of who God is. It tells people what God is like, and it proves that God is good. Not just when you tell people that God is good all the time, and all the time God is good, but when you live it out. People can see your faith and glorify God, But it's not just an apologetic to those around us. It's also, and this is going to sound strange, it's also an apologetic to yourself. Because if you're anything like me, there are days where your faith feels very strong. And there are days, maybe more often than not, when your faith feels very weak. And you can be asking yourself, do I really believe these things? Or am I just pretending? Is what I say I believe really really what I believe? Or, I don't know, I just... God feels very distant today, or I just am really struggling to read my Bible today. Do I even believe? But here's what you need to know. You are not a good judge of the strength of your own faith, or of your own faith at all. We actually need one another who can see our faith and encourage, in order to encourage us and help us to grow. This is why actually we need the church. One of the many reasons why we need the church, community around us, Because we can go up to someone and ask, and we should do this. It's very vulnerable and hard, but we should ask, can I ask you, how have you seen God working in my life? Or maybe we can ask, where do you see the work of God still needing to be done in my life? Because that's actually going to give you a much clearer indication of your faith than your own subjective experience of how you're feeling that day, because whether or not you got a lot of sleep last night <laughs> or, because, or whatever, perhaps you've been struggling to read your Bible. Because then someone can say, I have seen God working in your life by the way that you have been patient to your children when they are driving you up the wall. Or I can see God working in your life. I see your faith by the way that you have loved the people in your community, even when it's been at great expense to you. Or by the way that you have been gracious to your employees when they have repeatedly just failed and have dropped the ball time and time again, right? They're actually saying, I see Christ working in you. And that can be incredibly encouraging to us in those days when we are struggling to believe. All right, final point. I'll keep moving on. There's a lot to be said. But living, uh, living faith is visible. Living faith is beneficial. Living faith is also spiritual. And I'll try to be brief. But there's a couple of things I want to say in verse 26, James says something that's kind of, it's actually kind of surprising, but we may have missed it. Because he says, For as the body apart from the Spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. He's giving an analogy that equates the body to your faith and the, and the Spirit to your works. This, track with me. This is what he's saying. He's saying, Just as the Spirit makes your body alive, and without a spirit, your body is dead. The same is true for your faith, that your works make your faith alive, and without works, your faith is dead. He's saying that your works are actually spiritual in the way that your faith is empowered by your works, and dead without it. Again, he's not saying that faith... that. He's not saying that you are saved or made righteous by works. He's not even saying that by doing good works, you can make yourself believe. But what he is saying is that if you are claiming to have faith and yet you're not doing works, you will not experience the presence of God. But that by actually doing good works, you actually your faith will actually grow. And we know this. If any of us have been on a mission trip, you go on a mission trip and you serve the poor or you serve those who are in need, and you come back and you're feeling like, I've never felt closer to the Lord. Why is that so? It's because your works empower your faith, just as the Spirit empowers the body. And so so over time, God actually uses your work to help you grow in your faith and to strengthen your faith. Um, When I was at Western, I still am at Western, but when I first got there, again, I told you I wasn't really a fan. But over the past five years, you can imagine that time and time again, me putting on the red clothes, going to the football games, cheering for Western Kentucky, even though I wasn't a fan five years ago, I am now, right? I don't have a Western Kentucky bow tie, but next time I preach here, I will, okay? Because it has been through the cheering for Western Kentucky, and by working and serving at Western Kentucky I have actually grown to love Western Kentucky University and become a fan of it. And the same is true in terms of the relationships with our works and our faith. But there's one more final thing I want to say about how living faith is spiritual, and it is this. The Bible is very clear that your faith is actually a gift of the Spirit. You cannot make yourself faith. (laughs) You cannot faith yourself. You cannot work into it. You have to have the Spirit of God giving it to you as a gift. 1 Corinthians 12 is one of the many places where it says this, which means that it is God in Christ who saves you. It is not your faith that saves you. It is certainly not your works that actually make you right with God. No, it is God in Christ Jesus who makes you right with God. And so our confidence is not in our faith or in our works, but our confidence Is in the faithfulness of Christ Jesus, in his faithfulness and in his work, which I think is why James ends this section talking about Rahab. Rahab? I I know most of us know who Abraham is, but who was Rahab? Well, Rahab was a prostitute living in Jericho when God had sent Joshua and the Israelites out of Egypt through crossing the river of the Red Sea, and then going into the Promised Land. Before they get to the Promised Land, they have to go through Jericho. And it's, this, it's enemy territory. So Rahab is a prostitute living in enemy territory. And yet, when, God and, when Joshua sends spies into Jericho to, to do some recon work, Rahab says to the spies, I have heard of your God, and our hearts melted within us. When we heard of the redemption that God has done through you in Egypt and of the judgment that is coming, our hearts melted. And her faith in, in that, in God, in his redemption, caused her to send the spies of her enemy a different way. Her f- little, simple, hardly articulate faith caused her to do good and to be used by God to accomplish a great act of redemption for God's people at Jericho. Listen, she was a total mess, right? But she knew of God's goodness and of his redemption, and that was enough for her. You see, faith is spiritual because it is a gift that God gives to the most unexpected people. It's a gift that he gives to the messiest of people, to the most complicated people, and it brings those people from death to life just like rahab just like abraham and just like us faith is spiritual because god gives it to us by his grace and it and it changes us so my question at the very beginning was how do we know if we possess real genuine living faith it is actually when we find god's grace in christ jesus enough for messy sinful sexually deviant people like rahab and ourselves And it is enough, not just for our salvation, but we find his grace enough to live it out and to demonstrate it to others in beneficial, visible, and in spiritual ways. Following Jesus is not easy. It is not easy. Pretending might be easy, but following Jesus is actually very hard. And I know almost, if not everyone in this room knows this. It is very hard, and it is costly, but it is good. Following Jesus is good because in it we find a king who is gracious and is kind and is forgiving for those of us who most need it. I want to close uh, with a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, as I think it's appropriate and it helps us to understand all these things. And it's actually in the bulletin if you can find it um, online. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, a famous theologian, puts it this way. He says, Grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it is grace Because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. Grace is costly because it costs a man his life. And it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin. And it is grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it cost God the life of his son. You were bought at a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap. For us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us all. I mean, let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, uh, again, these words from James are hard. They cut to the quick and they cause us to ask um, hard questions about ourselves. Yet, Lord, you have shown us that you are good and that you are worth following and that. Um, it is by faith that we not only rest in your promises and are declared righteous, but it is, it is also um, by faith that we live out our life um, in practical ways that um, loves our neighbor and ourself and loves you. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to do these things. Um, again, would you um, convict those of us who need it, but would you also comfort and uh, encourage us um, through these words. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.